But when someone makes a transformational gift, it opens the eyes, I think, of other donors who are like, oh, something, something's going on there that I want to see uh, and maybe I want to be part of. And, and that's kind of how these gifts kind of manifested themselves. I mean, yes, we've had relationships. Yes, we've had conversations with these um, particular families, but they haven't really thought of themselves for this project. Welcome to the Abundant Vision Fundraising Podcast. Whether you are a seasoned professional or a first-time fundraiser, we have the advice you need to take your next step toward major gift mastery. I'm your host, Tom Dauber, president of Abundant Vision Philanthropic Consulting. In our last episode, Jim Mahoney, vice president of advancement at Adrian College, shared with us about his experiences overcoming some of the common mistakes and challenges so many of us experience as fundraisers, especially around donor visits. Today, we are going to pick up where we left off with Jim as he talks about some of the top gifts he's closed during his career, along with some helpful fundraising advice. So let's dive right back into the conversation with Jim Mahoney. So tell me, you know, you've had a nice long career here, Jim. You've been raising money for a long time. Could you share with us about some of your career highlights in terms of gift closures? What gifts are you most proud of? How did those opportunities develop? That sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would say probably one of my first major gifts I ever closed, like transformational gifts, I was at the College of Dentistry. And I, and I remember it was in Canton, Ohio. And I, and I met with this dentist who, who I developed a really nice relationship with, had been making annual gifts at the, kind of the president's club level for, that was 2,500 back in the day. I have no idea what it is now. I right. promise you, but. It's more. That, yeah, that's yeah. one thing I'm sure of. I'm sure. And, and, you know, I, I remember meeting with this uh, dentist and he, he was incredibly grateful to his parents. And when he made this gift, which ended up being a hundred thousand, he did it in his parents' name, oh. uh, recognizing his parents. And yeah. I just thought like, man, that is like such a cool, and, and he was an older gentleman too. And, and yet he was still just so appreciative for the sacrifice his parents made um, for him to get into the position that he was in. And, and so I always thought that was a really cool one. That was my first hundred thousand dollar gift. I had another gift of um, 500,000 at OSU and, and I'm thinking you were there, Tom, but maybe you weren't quite yet. But I remember calling our colleague, Rachel, to tell her that she had to come pick me up um, at this restaurant because I was too scared to drive back to the college um, because I had this half a million dollar check in my hand that was for um, the Ohio project. And, um, you know, a project for um, to help students down in, or um, yeah, I remember that one. Mobile yeah. dental clinic that went to Appalachia and, and just a, such a, awesome project to help um young kids uh in the school systems in southeast ohio who who may not have had access to um dentistry down there to to really help these students out and and this um woman was actually closing her um so, sold her dental business and was a modest donor through the years, but she actually called me to have lunch with her and she wrote this check at lunch. Wow. And, you know, 
you know, to this day, I only had water to drink at this lunch. So it wasn't because I had too much to drink that I couldn't, you know, that I needed someone to come pick me up. But I was so scared about having this check in my hand. Right. I, I remember calling Rachel and saying, you know, you need to come get me at, you know, Bravo or wherever we were at you know, having lunch. Oh, so, right. <laughs> um, so those are two really cool ones at OSU. You know, I've been very fortunate the last couple years here to, um, you know, I've closed a $5 million gift and a $2 million gift within the last year um, here. Yeah, for, you guys had like a record year last year, didn't you? Yeah, we, we um, you know, spent through a lot of hard work, but also just, again, developing these relationships and, and truly having projects that inspire individuals mm. to be a part of. And, yes. and that's where, you know, I give our president and our board of trustees a ton of, um, you know, credit and kudos for because, you know, we could sit back and say, yeah, we've done a lot of great things, but we continue to look for ways to change higher ed and, and make Adrian, you know, as, you know, the best possible small private liberal arts college that we can. Mm. So, you know, I really do think it's opened some of our donors who have been very um, generous in the past, but we've, we're starting to get these transformational gifts that we've never received before. I mean, you know, before I got here, I think Adrian may have had like one, one million dollar gift or more. Yeah. And, you know, we have just um, really been a, been the beneficiaries of some amazing gifts the last few years um, through very, very generous alumni and friends of the college. And this, this, this couple that gave the 5 million awesome couple, again, started an endowed scholarship a couple years ago. Um, have been very blessed in their, um, you know, professional lives to be able to do something like that. Their, their children are behind this gift, you know, a hundred percent. And, um, it's, we're going to be able to build a facility on this campus that truly rival any other college. Um, wow. um, so, and then we, we were able to engage with another family and, and they committed a, two million dollar gift and then shortly thereafter I, I met with this alum in fort wayne and he committed a half a million dollar gift to this project and his biggest gift before that was two thousand dollars <laughs> so you know again you just don't know because you don't know what project is going to really kind of tug at the heartstrings or someone's going to be like, wow, this is truly what I believe in and I'm, and I want to back. And, and so, yeah, we've, we've had some pretty nice gifts and it's been, it's been a lot of fun to watch these donors just have a lot of pride and passion in, in, in making these gifts. Well, there's, you know, there's a thing um, I mean, there's a client of mine that I'm, I've, I've been helping on a $60 million solicitation. And one of the big conversations we've been having is, okay, so, so let's say we close this. What is that momentum going to create in the minds and hearts of, of other alumni uh, yeah. who maybe have more potential, but haven't really stepped up yet? How's it going to change their view of the university to say, Ooh, this is, this is the sort of place that that can handle a seven figure or eight figure sort of gift, right? Um, I'll bet you're seeing a lot of that with these folks. Truly, and again, cliche, but people like to give the winners, and I think that's right. Truly, and 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 I don't mean that like oh we're winning at you know whatever. It, it just means you know they see success and they see yeah. 
positive momentum and they see, especially at an Adrian where, and you could, you could kind of supplant Adrian with Capital University or Wittenberg or Otterbein. I mean, it doesn't matter. Uh, or any other small private college across the country for that matter. 2024 could be the year you start a major gift program at your nonprofit. This means more money to help your organization serve more people and better fundraising ROI too. Starting a major gift fundraising program takes some planning and some work to make sure you are ready for that first solicitation. Fortunately for you, I've got a free online class where I walk you through the top 20 questions you need to answer before starting a major gift program, all in under 15 minutes. Knowing these questions and spending the time to get to your answers will go a long way toward helping you close your very first gift. Now, if you want this free resource, all you need to do is visit my online school at thomas-dopper-s-school.teachable.com. That's thomas-dopper-s-school.teachable.com. The link is in the podcast description. But when someone makes a transformational gift, it opens the eyes, I think, of other donors who are like, oh, something, something's going on there that I want to see uh, and maybe I want to be part of. And, and that's kind of how these gifts kind of manifested themselves. I mean, yes, we've had relationships. Yes, we've had conversations with these um, particular families, but they haven't really thought of themselves and, you know, maybe for this project. And the other thing is, too, you know, the, the largest donor to Adrian College up until this last $5 million gift, the, this, um, you know, this individual had a very successful career again. Our ice arena is named after him. Our bookstore is named after him. You know, and, and he made amazing gifts. Unfortunately, he passed away during COVID. Um, but during his lifetime here, he made some amazing gifts. And never once, Tom, he thought he was a major donor. Never once. And when you said, when you would say to him, wow, Dr. Arrington, this is, and I have no problem saying his name because he's an amazing guy, but, you know, wow, you know, this is a major gift here. And he said, I'm just trying to do my part to help. Yeah. And and he never thought of himself as a major gift donor here or a transformational gift donor here. And he made gifts that, you know, he has a scholarship here that has helped hundreds of students. Hmm. Hundreds. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, he just never thought of himself like that. So, you know, these types of gifts, I think, and when individuals, families, whomever make them, they, they just see, yeah, I know and I can trust that the college is going to do right with this gift. And, and, and either if it's build a facility or start a scholarship or endow a faculty line, whatever it is, you know, it's through that trust and that relationship building that someone feels like, okay, my, I'm giving to, you know, something that or someone or an institution that's going to do really, really good by this. No. Oh. Yeah, that's a wonderful point. So what advice would you have, Jim, for early career fundraisers? Mm. What, what should they be focusing on as they grow their fundraising skills? And don't say, go ask someone whom you know is going to turn them down. I, you know, first, chief among them, I would say, I don't care if you're working for, uh, a, a, you know, Research One, huge university, 
or small private college like like us, get to know your colleagues, get to know your campus, get to know your, you know, go and introduce yourself to as many people as you possibly can and build partnerships all yes. across the campus. Because you don't know when, you know, you're going to be with a donor and they're like, oh, wow, yeah, I really, I'm really interested in, uh, you know, the geology department. And if you can at least have like some knowledge about what that department, what that area of campus is doing, I mean, it could be really, really beneficial. And so get to know not just whoever's going to be in your portfolio, but get to know your campus, get to know your, your colleagues here, make friends with your colleagues. You know, you know, I really try to meet with as many faculty as I can here, even our new faculty to let them know, like, I'm, I'm a resource. I'm, I'm your, I'm an advocate. I'm a partner for things that you want to get done on campus. And so that, that would, I would say, you know, make that a priority as soon as you start somewhere. And then, you know, I would say, you know, don't be afraid to make cold calls. Don't be afraid to, to get out from behind your desk. Go and, and you know, travel and, and, and meet as many people as you possibly can that are part of your constituency. And, um, you know, it's, you know, it just is so important to like not be kind of get past that nervous, that, that feeling of picking up the phone, close your door if you need to, you know, yeah. you know, go, if you're using your cell phone, go to a part of campus where there's not a lot of people. If you're afraid to, you know, with your phone voice, you know, as we used to say, right. You know, but but kind of get past that fear of making those introductory calls. Yeah. Email's great. You know, emails can really help solidify appointments, but don't be afraid to like really just like pick up that phone and, and or get out from behind your desk and, and um, you know, have those conversations. Yeah, that's that's very valuable advice, Jim. As the chief development officer at the dental school, you were obviously working with a dean. Mm-hmm. And of course, now you you support a president in in fundraising. And you've been you've been doing that for, gosh, nearly 20 years, I'd say. We've got a number of executive directors and presidents today in our listening audience. What advice would you give to nonprofit executives, people that are kind of in the leadership, not necessarily uh, mainly focused on fundraising, right? We've got those folks. What advice would you give to those types of people who don't have a fundraising background? How can they work more effectively with their chief development officer and what should they be doing to drive fundraising? Hmm. Yeah. So that's a great question. And um, I think, you know, not to be cliche again, but there's flexibility in in this answer too, but having, you know, an open line of communication and partnership is needs to be just really crystal clear from the beginning. I I have a one-on-one with my president, it, it usually works out to like every week and a half. I mean, it, I know that sounds odd, but it's like, it's not quite every two, it's not every week, but it's not every two weeks either. I mean, it's, there's kind of in between. And we use a lot of that time to strategize over um, prospects. And so mm-hmm. yeah, the, the thing where, you know, when I traveled with the Dean at the College of Dentistry, he always wanted a development officer 
with him, at least when I was there. And he felt more comfortable with one of us being there during those conversations. And that, and that's great. My president here doesn't need me to be on his side, on his arm as his, you know, wingman, you know, for, for every single development meeting that he has. He's fully capable and competent and has more, um, more pressing than both of those is he has just the confidence in that he can, he can re have that relationship and make that ask if that is where the, the part of the, um, relationship is at. And so, you know, working together, having a structured time where you can have those conversations and those strategy sessions, which is hard to do on a president's calendar. Let's, right. You know, you know yeah. it's, it's tough to get that, but if, if the president or the executive director or whomever is the head of that organization can at least pencil in 10%, 20%, whatever it is of their time to do that, then it's up to us as the major gift officer, the chief development officer, whatever, whatever the title is, to educate and you know, give what that president or executive director needs to be successful in his or her conversations with donors. And then just be totally upfront and honest. Like, do you want me to travel with you? Would you like me to set up trips with you? Do you would you like to travel with me? I mean, however that works, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I have colleagues all across the, the country who some of them only do trips with their presidents. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know? Literally, I think I've been VP here for 12 years, maybe 13 years. I'm losing track of my time. I bet you I've only done 15 visits with my president. Oh, wow. But we talk all the time about yeah. who is the right person to, to talk to that constituent. Because some people want to see the president. Totally get mm -hmm. it. I have zero ego in that. Right, right. You know? Some, some people are, you know, I've been around long enough where they're like, yeah, we can talk to Jim. That's fine. <laughs> and that's fine. You know, that's great. And so, but I think, you know, making sure that there is a dedicated amount of time to, to talk about advancement development with your president, executive director, whomever, and then whoever's in charge of development making sure that they have a, a uh, informed agenda every single time and take advantage of every minute that that president is, a, is allotted for you. Learning to work with your CEO, dean, or president is one of a fundraiser's toughest but most important assignments. It's so valuable for our listeners to get your insights on approaches that have helped you find success there. But I know there's still some more wisdom you have to share with us. So we're going to end it here today and pick back up next week with you to learn a little bit more from your years of experience as a fundraising leader. As always, I'm your host, Tom Dauber. Thank you for joining me as we journey together toward major gift mastery on the Abundant Vision Fundraising Podcast.